This is a messianic study of the book of Romans. It's given in a midrashic setting, which is audience participation. It was given during the months of June through August 2008. The discussion leader is John Behrens. He's pastor of Restoration Messianic Fellowship. You can reach our website at www.crimsonthread.com. There you can find this study in its entirety as well as other resources for your messianic study of the scriptures. This discussion has been edited and a number of the comments have been either truncated or removed for clarity and continuity. Chapter 4, verse 9. And we're back in Romans and I'm at about verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? And the blessing he's talking about is the one in verse 7 and 8, which is from David and I think it's Psalm, I'll have it in a minute here, uh, 32 verses 1 and 2. <coughs> so the blessing, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing, the blessing that David is talking about, then only for the circumcised? or also for the uncircumcised. So the question is, does it apply to Jew and Gentiles? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he became, he had been circumcised? It was after. Uh, it was not after, I'm sorry. But before he was circumcised. In other words, remember, Abraham, the, the, the passage that Paul is quoting out of the Torah, which is Genesis 17. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Then, subsequently to that, Abraham circumcised himself. Okay? I personally think he had a little help, but anyway. Um, he was circumcised. And so what Paul is saying is, if Abraham, while in an uncircumcised state, can receive the righteousness of God, so can anybody else. In other words, the receipt of the righteousness of God is not dependent on circumcision. That's the argument he's making. And he's using a Greek argument here, by the way. This is linear and syllogistic, okay? Perfectly good Greek argument. Yeah, 11. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. In other words, he received righteousness by faith in an uncircumcised state, and then through his works, circumcision, he demonstrated that faith. Okay? If you, were to, if you were to say this the way James says the same thing. And the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make them, him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham, that the faith of our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Right, two concepts here. One is he's saying that the sequence here was important. God did that sequence on purpose so that those who, of us who are not of the circumcision would know that we can receive the righteousness of God through faith, just like Abraham did. That's thing one. Thing two is he would be the father of those, physical father of those who are circumcised and to make them, him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith. So in other words, it is not mere circumcision 
that counts here, it is those who have an active faith. So righteousness is a path. Faith is a path. They're both active. Okay. So what Paul is saying here is just because you had a little taken off the top does not mean you're righteous. You're righteous, even though you are a physical descendant of Abraham. What must happen is you must walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Do you see how that sort of made sense? So he's talking here still primarily to the Jews because they are putting store in the fact that they are circumcised and they are physical descendants of Abraham. And what he's doing is sort of giving them Torah 101. Hey guys, remember when Abraham was justified. It was before he was circumcised. Therefore, all of the Gentiles around you can also receive the righteousness of, the God, of God, just like your father Abraham did. That's all he's saying. And oh, by the way, if you don't walk in the path of faith, your circumcision counts for nothing. Okay? That, that's the argument in, in 25 words or less. Verse 13. And, and by the way, that, as I said, that is a good, logical, Greek argument. Okay? Nothing wrong with the logic there. Verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law. This is Torah. The law here means Torah, the law of Moses. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir to the world did not come through the Torah, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the inheritance of the Torah who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. What he's doing is he is saying, if the only ones who can inherit are those who walk in Torah, then the, faith is, the promise is void. And he'll go on to talk about the fact that the promise was made some 400 years before the Torah was given. So if the promise was made before the Torah was given, then the promise cannot depend on the Torah. In other words, the Torah was not, there's nothing retroactive in the Torah. That's the argument he's making. And again, this is a perfectly good Greek argument. 14. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Two things here. If you read the Torah, you will discover that there are both blessings and cursings in it. Okay? And that is because, as I just said earlier, what the Torah is, is the rules of the game. And the thing that the Jews or the Hebrews have as their advantage is God gave them the playbook, the manual, the game rules. And he says, all right, this is how my universe works. Gentiles did not have that advantage, so Gentiles get to stumble through the world trying to figure out what works by trial and error. And by and large, lots of them do pretty good. But it's a tremendous advantage to have the rules. And the rules include both blessings and curses. So if you behave this way, there will be blessings. If you behave this way, it ain't going to be so good for you. Ask any basketball player. Sure. There are fouls and there are legitimate plays. Exactly so. And so if you foul, there are going to be penalties. So the Torah, the law, does in fact have curses in it. It's by its very nature. Okay? It has to, because God is explaining how the world works. 
and, and everything balances. And then where there is no law, there is no transgression. All right, now that's, we're going to do more about that in chapter 5. But what that is saying is, if the magistrate doesn't post the speed limit, the cop can't arrest you for speeding. It, it's just that simple. So what Paul is saying is, the rules of the universe are the rules of the universe. They are. They have been since the creation. Okay. However, they were not given to humanity in a formal way until Sinai. Therefore, from the fall of Adam until Sinai, God forbore because the rules were not written down. The, the precepts of Torah were known to Adam and Eve. In other words, they had the information. Because you'll notice if you read the Torah that a whole bunch of concepts that are given formally at Sinai are in fact the customary behavior of the patriarchs. What that tells me is that that was handed down by word of mouth from Adam. Verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace, and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the inheritor of the law, but also to those who share the faith, to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Okay, we're going to camp out there a while. This is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. How many of you have heard that the Old Testament is law and the New Testament is grace? Um, where is the promise of Abraham resting? What's it resting on? Read Paul. Grace. Grace. When was that? Genesis 15. Right? One of the things that I discovered very early on in my Torah study career is there's more grace in the Old Testament than there is in the entire New Testament combined. Okay? And what Paul is saying here is that the promise made to Abraham is based on grace. Period. In other words, this is not a concept that happened after the resurrection, it is not a concept that Paul invented. It is not, well, it is a concept that Yeshua invented, but that's because Yeshua is God. Okay? But it is not a concept that is new with the advent of Yeshua. It's something that applied to Abraham. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in verse 17, in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gave, gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. All right. I will, I'm going to diverge from Romans for just a minute and put a plug in for this. It's a CD, How to Pray Spiritually, by a man named Charles Caps. And what he, he camps out here, and he says, most people don't pray. What most people do is complain. If you want things to happen, what you've got to do is pray the way God prays. Right? And what God does is he calls 
things that are not as if they were. That's what Romans just said here, right? Calls things that are not as if they were. He doesn't call things that are as if they were not. Everybody hear what I just said? In other words, let's use health as an example. He doesn't say, pray, I don't have cancer, if you do. And praise God, I don't think anybody does. We know Brian doesn't. Praise God. Brian doesn't. That's right. So he does not, the prayer is not, I don't have cancer. The prayer is, I don't have health and I need it. In other words, you're calling for what does not exist, in this case, health. That's what God is saying here. Did I say that so it made sense? Everybody's looking at me like, Ugh. And it's, it's very simple, but most of us don't do it. What most of us do is magnify the problem. What you do is you come before God and you say, Oh God, I've got this terrible cancer. Oh God, I'll never get rid of this. Oh God, if you don't do something, this cancer is going to kill me. Oh God. What's he going to do with that? Okay. That's complaining. That's not faith. What you want to do is call for the thing you don't have, but you want or need, which in that case would be health. It's really very good. I highly recommend it. It takes about an hour to listen to it. I've been through it twice, and I'll probably go through it three or four more times. It's excellent. Um, it, come here, Chris. Word. Yeah, but why did you just walk over to me? Because you asked me to. Oh. <laughs> Have you been willing to come over here all this time, if I'd asked you? Certainly. Why didn't you come? You didn't ask me. <laughs> ah. <laughs> you understand? I mean, it's really just that simple. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, that, enough digression. But anyway, Paul is talking about the way God prays. And, and, you know, for example, God says, let there be light, right? God didn't look on the earth and say, woo, look at all that darkness. Wow, sure is dark out there. I don't believe it will ever get light. Man, look at that dark. No, no, God didn't do any of that. God said, light which wasn't there. And it became light. I mean, it, it's really very simple and most people don't get it. I Anyway, onward. Um, where am I here? Oh, by the way, one other thing before I get off this. What moves mountains? Faith. Faith, okay. And God says, you know, say to the mountain and it will be removed. Do your words move the mountains? No. No. But if you don't say the words, will the mountain move? No. Well, what moves the mountain? Your faith. And faith, right? And how does faith come? By hearing, hearing. By hearing. So why do you speak to the mountain? So it can hear you. Not so it can hear you. So you can hear you. Yes, thank you. Very good, Galen. What you're doing is completing a circuit. So you say it to build up your faith, and your faith is what makes it move. Did I say that so it made sense? Again, it's real simple, but it <laughs> goes right by most, most people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It, it, 
Exactly. And, and fear is the flip side of faith. Okay? So fear is the substance of things not hoped for. Just as faith is the substance of things that is hoped for. Which is why God says don't mess with fear. Because what it will do is it will, the, the mechanics, if you will, are the same. And your faith makes things happen. Your fears will also make things happen. Okay? And probably most of us, we're better at fear than we are at faith. Got more practice. Okay? Anyway, onward. Back into Romans here. Making great progress. Um, Verse 16, where am I here? Um, Yeah, verse 18. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So what he's saying is, What caused the child to come? Faith. Faith. Faith is what made Sarah conceive. And and Abraham did not waver in his faith. Okay? And faith comes by hearing. He heard the word of God. He had faith and the thing comes to pass. Okay? As as Galen said, it's completing a circuit. Good, Good analogy. Turn you into a physicist yet. 20. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So again, this is another lesson in prayer. When you have a promise of God, what you do is you glorify God and you build up your faith. Faith comes by hearing. Okay, which means that you glorify God with your voice. Where was his faith? Doubted it and became dumb. Did he not speak until after the child was born? No, you're thinking of uh, you're thinking of Zechariah. Different different story. I'm not a scholar by any stretch. Different story. That was Zechariah, who's the father of John. Uh, yeah. And God basically shut him up. And I, I suspect one of the reasons God shut him up is so he couldn't speak and nullify the promise. I, that just occurred to me, but you know, here you got this guy who says, well, how am I going to... Shut up. You're going to get in my way. So he says, don't talk anymore. And I had I, never thought of that before. Thank you for bringing it up. But what it tells me is God didn't want him messing with the plan. So he told him to shut up. 22. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, his faith was counted as righteousness because he believed the promises of God, because he spoke the promises of God, built up his faith, and after a period of 25 years of doing that, he received the promise of God. Okay, and that's why it was, notice again, this is active. He did stuff. 